if we're to follow the format of episode one, where we reviewed the 2010s and covered the highlights, by the end of the season, we'd have the 2019 episode. And the album we're going to start this episode with, we've done this in past episodes, is just give you a brief what's up type of thing. So we're starting this episode, something that isn't a highlight of 2019. (laughs) Jesus is king. Okay. Anything you want to say on it? kind of hard to uh to really i'm honestly lost for words and we spoke about it briefly after listening to it maybe twice i'm really happy that it's a 27 minute album but you know when you listen to something and you you feel weird and you have no idea how to intake it like I expected I I expected something from this album. I think I got it, but I got too much of it. Like there was no boundary. It was either a miss or it was going to be amazing. And to me it just fucking <sighs> Look, let me let me put it to you this way. I think the music in the album is good and at some points in the album great but this is the type of music this is the type of person that sounds like he's gonna die and really needs to have a positive end of his life before he dies in the worst way possible and this is the type of album that you give to somebody that's on death row after they murdered 10 people in their family and know that they made a mistake and there's no other way but glorifying god and jesus and all that shit it, it it's it's music for psychopaths and if I was about to die and I needed to find the light, I would definitely put this album. Guaranteed. If anybody's dying and you really want to find Jesus, put this album on. But that that's really it because then you're listening to psychotic music. You're listening to somebody who's clearly in the worst mind mind frame ever and has no direction where he's going with his life. Zero. Zero. Like, it's... He's... Fucking, he's a psychopath. I just, I'm... This is my feeling. He's just out of his fucking mind. The instrumental sound good. And we sound good. We got our mics back.
Season 2, Episode 2, the year 2011. I like 2011. It was a good year. Um, lots of good stuff to talk about. We have a really good show scheduled for today. It's Halloween. Yes, it's Halloween. Scary stuff. It's raining like shit outside too. Um, as we started last week... We look at the calendar, we see the first great album that came out. This year would be James Blake's self-titled album, James Blake. I remember I remember it coming out. It wasn't um, his first major release, I'd say. There was a lot of EPs that were leading up to this that people uh, were keeping an eye on. And what's really cool about the whole James Blake thing was... His music always stayed more or less the same, some popular elements. But towards the end of the decade, you get a lot of him in big pop songwriting. Working with Beyonce, working with Travis Scott on Astroworld. Um, I mean, plenty of stuff that he worked on. I didn't didn't think to pull up names, but I mean, Jay-Z had him on things. So he... He had his type of music that he was doing, the electronic stuff. At the time, they were calling dubstep. And uh, not the dubstep that people are familiar with. But he was very well loved in the pop world. Songwriting stuff. So yeah, first debut by James Blake. Um, Uh, I remember when this came out. I think this is when people that were listening to different styles of music, indie music, uh, hip-hop music. This is when he started to become loved by different audiences because he was doing different sounds in this album. And if I'm not mistaken, this is RZA's on this album. He was on the following one. He was on the following one, okay. But more people, like more producers were getting into him. This type of sound, yeah, yeah. There was like a resurgence and like, well, I'm not too much into electronic stuff, but he did a good job bringing electronic to the mainstream yeah so but there was a different type of balance going on because i remember when it came out that week i was working in the warehouse in hmv and we would play it and i was getting really into it and i liked the sounds i was hearing you know what it reminded me of a smoother lp again i'm not too familiar with this style of music but it kind of brought me those elements of what lp was doing with his music and more on like the i'll sleep when you're dead sound yeah to me uh to me this album didn't remind me so much of that uh again i don't no no it's cool it's fine i was put onto it because there's a feist cover on it yeah so feist's uh, limit to your love is covered by james blake on this album uh, the first single for this album, uh, The Wilhelm Scream, was huge. And I just discovered him off that and went a little backwards into the EPs, but it wasn't too much for me. They were very electronic. But this album, to me, is still uh, a regular thing I go back to. His voice on this sounded very melodic. Oh, yeah, this, guy's in, this guy could sing, man. And that's when I hear him on, like, when hip-hop artists have him on their songs, it brings this type of sound to it like that voice that he had like on that Travis Scott song mm-hmm. I like it because that's what I was hearing when I was listening to this album Yeah. again I don't know it like the back of my hand like you do but I understand what he was trying to do and that's why it caught people's attention it caught different artists attention All Right. Uh, another big indie album to mention 
big. Before we get on to uh, our, our first, uh, maybe more of a d- deep talk on something. Uh, bon Iver's Bon Iver, the follow-up to For Emma Forever Ago, which came before uh, the decade started. This would be a second album. It was, uh, there was more, the first album was all acoustic driven, some electric elements and whatnot, but this was really the first uh, album where Bon Iver sounds like a full band. And to me, my my favorite album of his. Um, that cover though, that cover is, oh, yeah, that's a, when, yeah. when you look at decade, when you look at lists, it just keeps coming up. That album that cover, cover yes. is, is kind of like the light on the decade. Right. It started a lot of music. It did, it did a lot for that yeah. sound. And we talk about him a lot when we talk about My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy because it was kind of a weird thing to see that type of artist on a rap album. And um, when this album came out, he was pretty much at the peak of his career he has his fan base now and and he and and that's it that's one thing but this was kind of like his breakout let's say maybe not his peak but his breakout uh tracks like perth uh holocene calgary off this album from top to bottom this album is just perfect and definitely one of my top 10 albums all time no well (laughs) not no not all time but definitely within this decade it's uh it's it's very up there for me. Like, I remember when it came out, you were listening to this like crazy. You were all over it. He came in show for this album here. He toured for this, yeah. And you went probably probably to that show, yeah, that show and yeah. like you kept going on and on and I never understood this type of artist. And it, it it's not me shutting him down or anything no, because sure. I think he does some great stuff and what he did for Kanye and different artists after that, he did a wonderful job. I just never understood like this sound and why people were picking up on it. But you kept driving it. You kept going with it. This album was is full of like textures and the, the falsetto voice over those like, like you say, like the like well, like I said, the textures, the the it's it's like a real like. I find his songs always create soundscapes. It's not just a simple song. There's depth to it. There's again layering and songwriter. He's a great songwriter. He's a great songwriter, but but the production and the work put into each track and the detail that goes into it is even more than yes, he's a great songwriter and luckily he's an even maybe not an even better, but just as good a producer and and someone and 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 he like he crafts these songs each to do their own thing that I find is uh, like the simplest song he could take and and use glitches or use things that make it way more interesting and appealing and it's no longer just about the songwriting but how you hear the whole thing and that's what I found I find and I found fascinating about artists like this and artists about James Blake they don't just make music to make music there's a whole you get a, it when it when they want the when they're when they need to exactly release, that's it, yeah. and these guys make a whole thing about it it's not just here i'm gonna make i'm gonna write a song mm-hmm. and i'm gonna play it one instrument and i'm gonna put it out i'm gonna make it like 
like a Kanye West album. He's going to make a whole big thing about it. It's yeah. going to be a whole like musical type thing and you're going to be able to go see the show and not be bored out of your skull mm -hmm. because there's a whole thing around it. Yeah. And I'm sure you could probably go see this guy in concert about 400 times in the same year because there's more to it. And a guy like James Blake where there's more to his music and more to his show because it's not just all about him. Mm -hmm. Like you like more than just him. You like the music. You like the whole sound to it. Yeah. You like what he, they're doing as an artist. Yeah. Before we move on, these two uh, guys that we just spoke about actually collaborate with each other on a couple of tracks here and there on later albums. Well, the, those are James Blake EP following this first album where they collaborate. I think it was also 2010. Yeah. Or, no, yeah. Uh, 2011, rather. And uh, on, on James Blake's third album, Justin Vernon comes back for a great song. And on the latest Bon Iver album from this year, 2019, uh, James Blake provides songwriting. He has a songwriting credit and provides uh, backup vocals. They may have collaborated uh, elsewhere, but those are the highlights. Huge, huge album of the decade. Huge. Yeah, especially for the, on, the, on the rock side of things. Uh, still one of the very best ones. What else came out uh, 2011 that we could fascinate about? Okay. So, 2011 wasn't necessarily the first albums by the artists that we're about to talk about, but all these artists had breakout albums in 2011. Some of them was their first, some of them was their second, some of them they had other material, but this was their first album. Some of them had, some of them it wasn't their first album, but like I said, this was the breakout for all the artists we're going to talk about coming up next. So what, who do you want to start with? Because the next few artists we're going to talk about, there's actually a, a big amount of artists that really broke out. But I think we should start off with... Why don't, why don't we start with the least popular of the, of the bunch here? <laughs> the least popular, in our opinion. Is it Danny, Danny Brown? Brown? Danny Brown, Triple uh, X in 2011. Almost made the best 100 hip-hop albums of all time list that we made. We said the story about when we heard Danny Brown for the first time. I don't know if we did, but uh, go ahead. So, the Pitchfork, all these places were talking about a certain Danny Brown album. And we were in our time where we were listening to certain things. And me, I didn't never wanted to step out of the box. And I remember hearing him, and I'll talk about this album later on, the Random Max album as a featuring. Random Max being Black. Sean Price, Guilty Simpson, Black Milk. Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. This guy sounds different. He has a different he has a different pitch in his voice. So the album, we finally received the album at work. We went into my office, because I was your boss at the time. Mm -hmm. we, we went into my office. And we put this album on. And the cover does not look like a hip-hop album. No. Electronic album. Exactly. Probably. And the cover is eyes with a tongue. And on his tongue, there's three X's. So we're like, let's fucking, let's listen to this. So we put it on. And the first song, the beat, the beat is pretty hard when you put it on the album. Yeah, it kicks. It kicks. But then we start hearing the voice. What was my reaction? Well, you, well, you didn't understand the hype. 
didn't understand the hype. And you turned it off aggressively. <laughs> you said something about him reminding you of Wayne. And I could see the, the nasally voice being a reason. But now as a fan of both, you probably don't think that. No, at all. But I could get it. I get the nasal part of yeah. his voice. And yeah, that was it. We uh, we shelved it for a while. And well, then, you shelved it for a while. Did I? Get, I I don't remember how soon I got into it, but I th- I think you got back into it later on before our infamous Boston trip, and then I I heard because I was a huge fan of Black Milk, and they put out an EP together. Yes, Black and Brown. Uh, and then that's when I was like, okay, this guy is rapping old school with a with with something extra to it. Let me go back and listen to the album. Yeah, the album is. There's a lot of songs on that album. Yeah, there's an enormous amount of music on that album. But it doesn't but feel that long. It doesn't feel that long. But when you first get into Danny Brown, mm-hmm. it's a lot to to take in. Right. So this would be his second full length album. Full length album being the first. Yeah. But it was confusing at the time, and it still kind of is. As to whether hybrid's an album, is it a mixtape? It's Triple X the debut, so there's a bit of uh, in between with what's what. On at that. S- at some point, you could have got this album for free. Right. When it came out, you could have downloaded this album on a mixtape website for free. Yeah. We as bu- the hybrid was yes. as well. And then it just got off of all those websites, and you needed to purchase it. Mm. So we we got into this album and it just took off after that. But it's really hard to intake a Danny Brown album when you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Because the album goes through so many changes in music. You'll get a boom bap sound, but then you'll get like a totally not club type sound, but like that dubstep in your face, drum and bass all over the place type sound. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go back to, yeah, you know, like it, it's all over the place. It is. It's a. It's a harder listen if you're not from. If you're not familiar into that particular um, thing. But if I think it took a while, but seeing what he could do as an artist and seeing where he can go with different type of beats, it's today. I still love that album. When we did uh, the 100 list, we had split duties in that I gave you the Schoolboy Q album to pick, yeah. and you gave me the Danny Brown album to pick because we kept going back and forth, back and forth on which one. You think this is his best album? Yes and no. It 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 depends what what type of mood I'm in. Cause a Chosity exhibition is more it's more of like a complete album where to this to me sounds like a mixtape. Fair. Cause it's all over the place. Yeah. Like the concept is there more for Atrocity than it is for Triple X. And he was just on insane amount of drugs on this album, but it blew his career blew up because of this album. Yeah, he created a he, he kind of has a cult following. He ha, he's that type of rapper. He's not gonna pierce into the mainstream or no. like. And just so everybody knows, he was supposed to be signed to Fifty Cent's G Unit Records. Yeah. He came out before Hybrid with a mixtape with Tony Ayo called Hawaiian Snow, which. If you're a Danny Brown fan, you need to check out because it's really fun. And Lil B does some featurings on that album. But 
he just went he could have done a totally different route and be more gangster rap mm -hmm. which i don't see but he he kind of created his own sound with this too with the high-pitched voice with the screaming he did he it's, did it's his it's his own sound that's the danny brown sound right so uh frankie yeah there was also him that had his uh breakout release in 2011 is it a mixtape because it was free uh it was free for a while then it got paid for because he had to clear samples the hotel california sample um that was the main one that was problematic but mixtape album i can't get it off streaming services well i so. did i i downloaded mine off that piff no no i know so, but i'm saying i can't i can't hear it off spotify today no it's not on there it's only so is it album is it mixtape it's not clear right right but that was the era, so. Um, good body of work. Probably the, with Danny Brown's Triple X aside, of the albums we're talking about, probably the one that I like the most from these artists. I could tell you that I was disappointed when I went in because I was on the train of Odd Future releases mm -hmm. and I was thinking I was going to get a title of the creator type yeah. vibe mm -hmm. and got totally totally thrown off by what was going on but i like that was it. a great yeah that was a i think that's where odd future stood a part of the rest yeah was that we're not just doing the hip-hop again um other artists within these that break out are not just doing hip-hop but collective as a collective it was cool to see that within the collective somebody's doing completely different sounding stuff um, it got people a younger generation of people to like it did this music what I find interesting about this album as a Frank fan I don't understand how this launched him into again the career that he had oh yeah and well it does not it does not reach the heights that Channel Orange or Blonde reach. We agree there. Yes. So you can't base the up and coming factor to how they actually perform once. Yeah. Like great studio albums come out. But it's just weird how these artists are pushed on us. And then when the album drops, it's like actually better. Or it's a miss completely that happens all yeah that that happens also within these artists and that do the free route but yeah it's just uh this was really good not yeah. his best work but pretty good i've listened to it i would say about a good three four times only because hmm. channel orange just blew my mind yeah it's fantastic um Next artist, uh, who do you want to talk about next? I think there's, I think there's two. There's two we could save to last to yeah. make a point. So who's the next one? I think we're gonna go. Out. Let's talk about the weekend because you. Oh, you want to do? Okay, I was gonna do ASAP. You want to do ASAP? Let's do ASAP. So, ASAP Rocky. Yeah. This guy you liked right away. This guy I like. I didn't like. This guy I liked right away. Really I think like, we yeah. still go back and forth of ASAP Rocky. Yeah. So. This is to me the start of the mixtape era where an artist puts out an album, mm -hmm. calls it a mixtape, and it's free. 
he created something where I want to give free music. I don't want to pay for my music because it sounds so good. So ASAP Rocky puts out Live Love ASAP and gets huge and didn't take a while. It was right off Exploded, the bat. Yeah. This guy is from New York City mm -hmm. and sounds like he's from the South. Yeah. This to me, again, is almost the beginning. It happened before, but almost of the beginning of where it's okay to sound like you're from somewhere else, but be from a place that does not sound like this. He kind of started that as well. And I'm going to give him his props for probably the rest of my life for taking the Houston sound, the Atlanta sound, and bringing it to New York City. But before we get into that, I'm going to explain the mixtape where people... This has kind of started the streaming because you're going online and there's torrents already and there's a bunch of stuff going on already, but it created a platform for hip hop where these sites like that Piff and Live Mixtapes were getting you going onto these websites week after week and getting free music, but it was okay. The artist didn't make money off, off this. They were making money off their shows. Yeah. yeah. So after ASAP Rocky does that and, and people start seeing huge success, from a mixtape, people got onto the bandwagon and, and said, I'm going to put my music out for free because now you could download it for free and be like, I like this, ah, I don't like this, without going to have to buy it. Yeah, but the thing with, the thing with this mixtape was that it was also really good. Really, really good. So... I mean, there were plenty of mixtapes like circling around. This guy just didn't have a label and happened to be really good. There are future albums that we're going to talk about, not future the artist, but future in the years <laughs> that we're going to talk about that were mixtapes that are seen as somewhat albums that are very good. To me, this is the this is probably the first album I downloaded. Well, it put it put people onto it put more artists onto. Um, I can make money off shows. Yeah. Well, it also created kind of a community that like were into the mixtape artists, into guys that weren't signed. Yeah, for sure. Like being like liking the underground and liking mainstream. Well, this was like a whole new kind of realm that 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 was that artists were booming out of. Oh, for sure. It, it it's, a, it's like a new platform. Exactly. And especially that it sounded so good. Maybe the mixing wasn't as good as, as it could be. It wasn't I, as great, yeah, that's yeah, for sure. But it still sounded like I'm getting free music and it, it's an album. Like, this is an album. It's just considered a mixtape because that's what they were calling it. And to me, which I really enjoyed was that he didn't sound like New York. Mm. He didn't look like New York. Mm. He looked like a young kid who dressed the way he wanted to with skinny jeans. Yeah. And made a sound that he grew up listening to even though he was from New York. Yeah. It was like a new, yeah. It was like something new. Again, he's not the first because many artists that I can name were using beats from different producers from different areas. And it kind of created like a, like a cult where it brought into a collective 
of different ASAP members. Mm -hmm. He brought back fashion. Yeah. He brought back fashion, dressing weird, but it, it looking good. Him being from Harlem also brought back? Dipset. Yeah. And people getting back into Dipset. It, 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 it created something big, and it created something big for hip-hop. Because I don't think that if ASAP Rocky didn't exist, a lot of artists wouldn't be sounding the way they do. He made it okay to go, and, and I think this is the key word, he made it okay for you to sound like you're from Houston or you're from Atlanta without being there. Hey, can you send me a beat over? Let's do the music. Let me do the music I grew up listening to rather than let me do the music where I'm from. And it was okay because it wasn't okay before doing that. Best album? Mixtape, album, project, whatever? Yes and no. I love going back to this. I love going back to this because I love the sound of it. And he could rap on this album. Yeah. Well, he could rap generally, I think. I'm not a fan of his full-length albums, but if I have to hear something, it would be this. And he was also working with artists from Florida. Space Ghost Perp. Mm who had production on this that it made it sound more of like the Bone Thugs 3-6 Mafia sound. Yeah. So I, I, it's cool to see what, what this started in 2011. Next artist started something too, in a way. In yeah. In 2011. First things first, Trilogy is not an album. It is three albums. It is a three album set. So if your favorite album by The Weeknd is Trilogy, yeah. it's not an album. No. Was this free? They were free. So March 2011, House of Balloons, which we're going to focus on. Uh, August 2011, Thursday, which whatever. And December 2011, Echoes of Silence, which whatever as well. If you, if you want to know my honest opinion, House of Balloons was something I liked right when it came out. And I thought, okay, this is kind of cool, this, this soul R&B thing. First thing that caught my attention, Beach House samples. Susan the Banshee samples. He was going to get sounds again from the indie artists, the alternative artists, goth artists. There was a different atmosphere to the music. It was dark. What's goth artist? Susan the Banshees. Okay, sorry, I have no idea who that is. It was a band that... Um, Robert Smith from The Cure was at one point in them. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, that's it, interesting. It's not, it's not his band, but to give you an idea. Um, well, they had the song uh, uh, Happy House. Okay, yeah, yeah. That he, did, that he does on uh, House of Balloons. Anyway. There was a kind of soul R&B resurgence that took off because of him. And being from Canada, we had a bit more um, knowledge of who this artist was, but we didn't think it would ever blow up to the point that it did. Took off. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, it took off. For three free albums. Free? 
Yeah, where only one was really good and it happened to be the first one. The next two were kind of very medium. I'm surprised he had the career he did afterwards because nothing was ever as good as that first free album. Yeah, but he became more pop too later on. He went very pop. He collaborated more on singles and did, yeah, so that helps. But what I mean to say is that that he was signed at all surprised me. Can can you explain to me, because I'm going to be straight honest with you. I own mm-hmm. Trilogy. I took it right out of my, my CD tower, 110%. And I own the one after that, Kissland. Yeah, that I got rid of. Did I get rid of it? Yeah, I got rid of it. I kept. I held on to. Uh, I held on to trilogy. Uh, it didn't do anything for me. Like I. I didn't understand what was going on. I thought I. I'm gonna sound fucking horrendous when I say this, but I thought it was music for women, females. Like I didn't. I. I didn't find it appealing to me as a listener listening to his subject matter. I didn't think of. I didn't think of it as that. I just. I just thought of it as like bedroom R&B, like a guy that made an album in his bedroom and it sounded really cool, but I didn't I didn't see the potential in it that that gave him the career that he has cuz his career is huge. Yeah, and and like we like we agreed, he never had a better album than the first one or like we agreed, like I imposed, he didn't have a better album than the first one. It's going to take a lot to have a better album than the first one. And the last point I was going to make about the album is that going back and revisiting for the episode, it's not even that good. And I remember at, when I work, people were f- fucking coming in for this thing and they were. Sp- it was expensive when it came out. Which trilogy? Yeah, when, it, when they finally released it as the box set on CD because you could go on his website. That's how I first listened to it. I was, you go on his yeah, website yeah, yeah, and you hit the, over, yeah. the link and you download it right away straight to your computer. Yeah. But... Like ASAP Rocky, what he did was fucking smart. He did one of the smartest things. You go onto his website, you click, and it's free. You get that shit free onto your computer, mm-hmm. which made people, which he grew a fan base out of that. And then people still wanted to go get it and have the physical copies. We're saying the weekend, right? We're saying the weekend. Yeah. Like you're still paying for it but you have it free on your computer i remember when i bought it was 10 bucks it yeah. came out expensive it came out it expensive and it was like 10 bucks for three f- albums that were free and it was a hot seller for years huh years it was always selling always selling always selling three and albums for 10 bucks and the first one's great but it but you have it free great. i just thought it wasn't that good but it's 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 when you heard album. it, when you heard it, when you heard it, it was great. It was good because it was like different. But f- like it, I said, the samples that I that I recognize from not other R and B songs, I was like, oh, okay, cool. But you, but you, you see where people were still buying the music once you had it free on your computer. People still went out and buy it. People found something about the weekend. People loved the weekend for his sound of music, what he was doing. Hmm. But don't tell me the fans that like him now like these three albums. No. I don't think... I think totally for the most part, people that listen to the radio stuff don't even know about this stuff. No. It's, and wouldn't care to hear it. No, it's way more popular, way more... I'm going to tell you one thing. I never sat through a full... How many songs on this? 
They each had nine, I believe. Yeah. I have... And on the trilogy, he added a tenth, or they each had ten, and he added I... an eleven. But they were short. Never sat through a weekend album. I don't think I'll be able to. I'd rather hear him on features. I like the featuring on the Travis Scott album. Yeah, his features are cool. I like it. I think his feature on Life of Pablo uh, for uh, FML is one of the most underrated Kanye songs ever. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's a bit slow to pick up, but I I, yes. I, I feel like this, the, struct, the song structure and the production is really cool on that. Jesus is King or Life of Pablo? <laughs> I had to ask you. I don't know. You fell into that trap. I'll wait till the end of the episode for you to answer that. I'll get back to you on that. Next artist. Take it away. I'm going with Kendrick Lamar, Section 80. Mm -hmm. The biggest artist on this list? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Maybe. I think there's a bigger artist at the time when these albums came out Mm -hmm. but over the time i would say the biggest can you look section 80 i asked you this question when we were working together and it's amazing how all these stories come back while we were at work together what did i ask you because you have this the perfect you remember what the fuck is so good about this artist why does everybody want to hear this so i People would talk about it. Uh, I saw reviews about it. I remember watching a video where Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and the game passed a torch to him. But I never really dug fucking deep inside Kendrick Lamar's Section 80, but I kept hearing things about it. I asked you, I never, it took me, I would say, a good solid nine months to really dig deep and be like, what, like, what's going on? What is this? And then finally, I listened to, I would say, there was, the game put out the Red album. And I remember this is when we used to hang out in your basement. The game put out the Red album, and the the first track, on it, yep. is featuring Kendrick Lamar. And I'm a huge game fan. I was a huge game fan. I would buy his albums the first day they would come out. And the name of the song, I can't remember what the name of the song is, but on it's it's there's the game, and then Kendrick Lamar raps. And then every every Kendrick Lamar verse on it, every Kendrick Yeah, the city. The city is the name of the song on the game red album. Kendrick Lamar game raps, Kendrick Lamar goes in. I would say it's a chorus. That he raps? Yeah. He does the chorus, and then at the end, he choruses into the yeah. big verse that he has. Okay. Yeah. So, game raps, Kendrick Lamar choruses. There's about three game verses, and then Kendrick Lamar at the end does his chorus, but explodes it into an acapella back into the beat at mm-hmm. the end of the album. And yeah. I was like, this is Kendrick Lamar? This is what had to get me to go and listen to Section 80. So I went into Section 80 thinking, okay, this guy's rapping like this on it. It's going to be like this throughout the whole album. Like he's going to give me this and this is, this is fucking amazing. I went into Section 80 thinking two things. He's going to rap his ass off 
and it's going to sound very West Coast gangster music. And, and I went in and I did not get any of that. What I got was melodies, high-pitched voices, fast rapping. Good production. Good production. Layers. Layers. It, was, it just gave me so much more that at one point I was just like, really like is this like is this is this really what i just got myself into and it kind of was the soundtrack to going forward till good kid mad city came out that and schoolboy q's habits and contradictions those were the two albums i would listen to back to back every day there was about a three month span that i wouldn't listen to anything else but section 80. and i remember our trip to boston on the bus right there I would li- I listen to Section Eighty. We would go back and forth, like, like I would, trying to analyze it, like people do with his music. But we analyzed it, and we were just like, like, fuck, this guy's coming out of the West Coast. He's not really supposed to sound like this. It's not supposed to sound with the like what he's saying. He's first of all, he's not a gangster. He's not glorifying violence. He's definitely talking about his upbringing and what he's seen. But he's also going back to how his parents grew up. Mm-hmm. He's also telling you stories of his friend's sister. He's also telling you stories, but he's so he's making it, it's making he's making it seem like it's happening to him. Yep. And not one song sounds like the one before. Do I find this is his best album? Definitely not. But I understand why people were freaking out about him. And this album was not free. No, it so wasn't not mixtape, but album. I didn't download it. I bought it on iTunes for nine ninety nine. And there's the one before that also. So is it overly dedicated? Yeah, is that his first? Is this his first album? Is overly dedicated his first album? Is Good Kid the first album? People say again. Good Kid is the first album, and this is his quote unquote mixtape. But yeah. again, it wasn't free, so it can't right. be a mixtape. And overly dedicated was never free. But that to me was just probably one of the best beginnings I've had with an artist mm-hmm. and most consistent. I don't like Section 80. I liked it when it came out. It got me ready for Good Kid. When Good Kid came out, I still liked it. But as he went into the Pimp Butterfly and then Damn, um, I would. I know you. I know how you feel about Damn, but I would put this... On similar levels with them, as in like under and well, average albums, I'd say. Dam had elements of Section Eighty. It did. It was more. It was. It was pulled back. It was simplified. Yeah. But I would go as far as saying that Untitled and Mastered, which are the extra section, the extra sessions of Pimp a Butterfly, are more interesting to me than this. I really like that era, Kendrick. It's different. It's yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. it's more advanced Kendrick. It's yeah. more like it'll he, never come back. Like it, that 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 Kendrick of Pimp Butterfly and Title and Mastered will never be back. Oh no, for sure. It's one. So we never know what's gonna come after. But Section Eighty was like he sounded younger. Yeah, but what I find I don't like about it is I don't like the. I don't like the chorus work by a lot of artists that feature. I find the first three tracks start really strong. And then the rest gets 
I don't find there's another highlight past that. The first three songs are amazing. I find the end of the album my favorite. Okay. Into High Power, which was... Bonus track, I guess they call yeah, it. Yeah, produced by J. Cole. Yeah, good track. Yeah, but it's it's crazy to see how at a young age he was rapping so well. Mm. And how, again, I say this almost to every artist, but how you put your verses together and like being so complex and again changing up your flows because yeah. Riga Mortis he sounded like he was Busta Rhymes at one point yeah but on another songs he's he had, he's his raps are full of melodies and mm. his high pitch and how he's like his voice kind of like sometimes squeaks mm -hmm. is it was it, it was a great start to your career really great start did you want to add anything else about this I don't have anything to add. I I, I think this is an is an okay album. I I think you covered that pretty well. I have nothing else to add to it. Drake pushed him. Right. So that's where I was getting to. The next thing before 2011 ends in November, you get Drake's Take Care. We spoke back and forth about it on our 2010s episode. We each said how we felt about it. But do you think Drake having the Kendrick interlude on that album after um, Marvin's Room? And having Crew Love featuring The Weeknd, another artist from Toronto, showing people this guy's from where I'm from, look into him, pushed those two guys into, they had a bit better of a launch into their career because of that. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. And not only that, Drake's Club Paradise tour. Right. Because he brought Kendrick and ASAP Rocky. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to get to next was the fucking problem single. <laughs> yeah. That had two chains, Kendrick, yeah. Drake, and that was the lead single for Aesop's... Second. Right, the full-length album, yeah. whatever. But that was another way that he got involved with up-and-coming guys and... Yeah, but that's what Drake does. Drake, he, 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 he finds these guys, maybe. not Maybe not finds, but he, like, he gets these guys to do songs with him and people hear them and they're just like oh fuck i'm gonna go pay attention to this guy if drake is if drake has this guy on a song with him or on tour with him i need to listen to him at, at take care drake was big shot right drake was big shot i'm gonna give him his props he didn't sound like the album before that on take care doesn't sound like that no like what was the album before that we spoke about a lot? Thank Me Later. Okay, Thank Me Later and Take Care. If you take those two albums and you look at them and then you go listen to them, it's like... Well, he went from like a rookie that was like trying to get comfortable to like the sophomore album taking off like crazy. And Exploding. And he got different fan base too for that because of what, what he was working with, with yeah. sounds and stuff like that. For sure, yeah. He still had the pop records on that and all mm -hmm. that stuff, but it's hard when you look at an album and you see up and coming guys like Kendrick and a weekend, but you also see Ross on it, who was pretty big deal in the mainstream. But then you're also seeing he's got Birdman. Okay, Birdman was the was the whole uh, Cash Money Young Money thing, but he's got Andre on a track. He's got well Wayne again, Young Money, but like there was so much. There was up and coming. There was legends. There was 
yeah. covered everything. But these guys like the Drakes, the ASAPs, the uh, Kendricks, he worked with them because they were all part of like that same era. Like these are the yeah, upcoming yeah. guys. These are, okay, Kendrick, ASAP, J. Cole, Drake, these guys are what's next in the hip hop world. These guys are coming up. Do they all sound the same? No, but these are the next. Mm. These are the next four. Let's all work together. Let's tour together. Let's make them know that we're next in line. Because before that, there was none of that. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but there was like a big gap in hip hop. And we spoke about it. The Jeezys, the TIs and all that. Yeah, that was, yeah. But then it kind of died down a bit and then it needed to revive itself. Wayne was running it. So you needed new people to step up and be like, it's our time now. This is the new era. This is what hip hop's going to sound like going forward. And you got four guys that have different sounds. So it took off mm-hmm. into different lanes. So um, props to Drake for doing that. Like for real. I'm going to give him his props for taking them on tour right. and showing the rest of the world because people were paying attention to Drake. On that note, uh, let's take a break. So we spoke about the next wave of hip hop artists. But there was another artist that was on a different wave. So Tyler, the creator, released Goblin. Well, the single Yonkers was, in my opinion, more important than the release of Goblin. Because the music video was graphic. The voice was not everybody's cup of tea. And he threw people off with the type of rap he was doing. Everyone was, I remember that year, everyone was saying, Look at this guy's music video. It wasn't even so much about go hear the song. He brought back the music video bit, which was really cool. And we uh, briefly spoke last week about the Odd Future rollout, which I had wanted to um, save for this week, but we did it. We did it a bit last week. So anyway, we forgot about that. Um, moving on quickly, something that gets popular this decade is. The surprise album. Hmm. So, you get your Beyonce's later on. You get your Kanye's later on. The surprise that doesn't actually Ka- arrive. Uh, you get a Drake later on. They're all gonna. We're gonna talk about all those, but arguably the first surprise album of the decade that made a lot of noise was also possibly. The first bad Radiohead album since the Benz. You think this is bad? The King of Limbs uh, was released on very short notice. I think it was less than a week where the album was announced and then released. It wasn't the first time they did this because the classic In Rainbows was released for free. Surprise. <laughs> pay what you want. So they started, thing. They started it. Uh, it goes further back. There's other bands that did it too. Wilco did it. Uh, other bands, Nine Inch Nails, bands have been, had been forced to do that. But I don't know the delay in which it was announced. But In Rainbows was pretty much up and pay as you want. And then this one came sick, was announced like a week, less than a week before it came out. It was the newspapers. He was delivering newspapers. Remember those newspapers? How many? many, We we got a bunch of those newspapers. I took like three. Yeah, I still got one. I held on to that. I gave one to my cousin Mark, which is framed. Oh, yeah? He framed it. And the other one, I have no idea in which household it is. Hmm. So yeah, arguably the the in my opinion, not a very good Radiohead album. Are you kidding me? I thought you liked this album. We 
we went to we went to see the tour yeah. for my birthday. <laughs> but I paid eighty bucks for this fucking ticket. Well, that's the thing about this album in particular was there was a lot of loops. Oh. And they were experimenting with loops, songs that started somewhere and didn't a radiohead song always kind of progresses. On this album the songs kind of just start and build. Oh yes. But always but never necessarily changing. I think it was their most interesting. Mm. Well, you're talking to me, fuck. So, but no, yeah, it's like it's, it, I found it was interesting because I knew what they were, like what they were doing before this. Yeah. So getting an album like this, I was just like, oh fuck, this is cool. This is this is different. Mm-hmm. People would say it's fucking boring. I've heard comments where this is a really boring Radiohead album, but I found that it was well done and it appealed to me which is really left field from what I'm listening to yeah I'm surprised to. I we, remember you saying that when it came out though. I and we remember. went to the show together and we paid the tickets it yeah. was me you Sean Mel I have no idea was Scally there no it was just us okay but somewhere. like it was fun it was and and what was great the, the show what was great was how you got to see those songs all those songs performed live live took a different shape in show yeah because again there's there are loops that build when you're doing that in the studio i mean these guys know gear and know stuff so they know what they're doing but seeing them bring that to stage like loops should be automated for live shows yeah but this was all being done in front of you and they have that habit like I know like Ed O'Brien their guitarist doesn't program tracks backing tracks he, he, if, if there are loops he creates them for the show so you still have that kind of essence of it's live and we could fuck it up Which it's is- part of the experience seeing them is that they're gonna take that kind of repetitive build that they had for this album and they're gonna give you a different version live and for those of you that don't know about the in the basement live shows that they did both for in rainbows and this album you should really go hear the radiohead live from the basement for the king of limb session it's fantastic you get two new tracks with uh, which uh i believe it's the staircase and daily mail i could be wrong but those two tracks were performed there for the first time and and are radiohead favorites for a lot of people so yeah if you but explain to me why you didn't like this album what i don't like about this album is that there's not enough epic radiohead moments figured that you know from the kid a from the hail to the thieves from the yogi computers from the bands even it lacks that from in rainbows it lacks that. Do you think it's because In Rainbows was so good and when it came out, it was just like, wow, they did it again and then they're going to this? It also plays a part because it took so long. How many between, years was I it? I think been? it was, uh, I want to say three, four years. Was it not 2009? No, 2000. And, anyway, it was like it was a good three, four years we're talking about. Seven, eight, or nine. End of the de- end of the two thousands, it came out. I don't know that I expected another in Rainbows because if you look at the Radiohead catalog, they never do the same thing twice. Ever. So no, I didn't necessarily expect this another in Rainbows. 
But I expect to be moved a bit more. And loops didn't do that. Do you think that they were trying to do something different oh. that they never touched on? 100%. And they're not, and they're, and that's the thing with Radiohead is them not being so into their own hype are well aware that we tried something that didn't stick too well with the fans and we'll do something else next time. So sorry about that. But Which brings me to my point of people never being happy. Because these guys have a big, huge catalog that if they step out of the box too much, people are going to complain about it. Which I find is I'm stepping out of the box. I'm not going pop sound. I'm just doing something way different. You think there? You think that? I think that. I think no matter what they do, there's going to be people that are going to just kneel. It is Radiohead. It is Radiohead. They have that Kanye effect before Kanye had it. For sure. So, being said, I've seen Radiohead twice. Mm -hmm. I liked the second time I saw them live. Because it wasn't for this. <laughs> it no, was. But, but, I mean, you get it. it. It's they. It was made up of songs that were hard to, that they did well. Certain songs did really well live and. A lot of it, I just feel, should not have ever been played live. Do they still play any of these songs live? They play Bloom, which is the opening track. They sometimes do Morning Mr. Magpie, the second track. They do Lotus Flower every now and then. Yeah, because when I saw them a second time with my cousin Mark, they played Lo Lotus, Lotus Flower. Flower yeah. that, see, that was the most Radiohead song off the album. Yeah. And maybe some of the ballad, the more balladier songs that were Tom and the Piano, but... Yeah, that's King of Limbs. Probably the first surprise release of the decade. Or the most significant one. The first significant one. And now, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Because you were way, way more waiting for this than me. I was just like, meh. I'll kick another one off. Okay. I like when you kick it off. 2011 marked the first massive collaborative hip-hop album and probably the biggest collaborative hip-hop album of all time. We agree. Definitely agree. If you didn't think Watch the Throne when I said that... Well, it's definitely not Kendrick and J. Cole album because that never came out. It didn't? No. I think we're still waiting for it to end. That's an album. That, no, like joke aside, that's an album I don't ever need to hear. No. Maybe a couple of songs, but that's it. Kanye West. Jay-Z. Watch the Throne. Drops in 2011. People have been waiting for that. Because there was hype behind it. There was hype. Crazy. And was, yeah. Hype. And unlike just the, the complexes that post- collaborative album between this guy and this guy there was truth to it yeah it was supposed to happen um at release <laughs> i was shocked i was first uh, first off i was surprised that it rolled out that it did come out um wasn't it supposed to come out the week before or the week after 
the release was completely fucked all over the place. Yeah, people had it, like it started selling early at some places, or they decided to release it digitally early to math to like. It came out on a Friday. Collect a bunch of sales. It's supposed to come out come on that out, Tuesday yeah. or the Tuesday after, but we put it on our shelves. The Friday, yeah, because digital came out the Friday, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the first times listening to it, it felt really good, felt really cool. The album had a good flow. There was a, a bit of a concept going on, but overall it was just two guys that... I've made music together forever, having fun. Once again, the thing that killed this for me in a hurry, and I hate to say this because you were, politely put, part of the new fans at this point. Mm -hmm. But it just made so much noise. Ever. And, and, I, and, and like we say, like you like hip-hop, so... Sometimes it just takes a different body of work to get you into a certain artist. But this album made so much noise that everyone, everyone overnight loved these two artists. Don't tell me that Jay-Z went into this album making good music. No, because his monster verse was shit. And the Blueprint 3 was before that, so it was just like commercial crap and i still to this day don't like blueprint 3 or own it six on ten for blueprint 3 but the people that were getting into this were people like and this is why the, the whole kanye thing to me still annoys me a bit is because bodies of work like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy that are a bit more research that are a bit more like there's a bit more soul put into it there's a bit more heart put into it art Art and heart. When you get to this, it's it's just bangers. Oh yeah. So this whole new train of people that come in, like liking them because they work together, and to me, it just uh, you know that's the, that that's the problem with collaborative albums, and that's why collaborative albums never necessarily apply to the fan of the artist. And that's why I don't like them. And that's why, yes, okay, it was very exciting to watch the throne at the time. To me, watch the throne is just, it's just hype today. Remember when I, we spoke, we always speak about music by text or when we're together. Remember I told you, give me 10 albums to you that changed you. Mm -hmm. And I remember giving you my list. And on that album, on that list, there was two albums from 2011. Kendrick Lamar's Section 80 and Jay-Z and Kanye West Watch the Throne. Why did I put Jay-Z and Kanye West Watch the Throne? It's because it made me get it made me say, fuck always just listening to underground hip hop. These guys made a good album. I'm gonna go dig more into them. I went to, we got free fucking tickets to go see the show mm. at the Bell Center. Yeah. We went together to see them. I was in my seat. I enjoyed myself for once. And I was just like, I told you, okay, I've heard Blueprint already. I've heard Reasonable Doubt. I've heard Graduation. 
I've heard college dropout late registration, but that's where it stopped for me. Mm. So I needed to go more in. So it kind of got me. And the reason why I put it on my list of the 10 albums that changed changed me was because it got me out of just listening to underground hip hop. Yeah. It got me out of stop listening to <laughs> bootcamp click, stop listening to rock Marciano, stop listening to all this stuff and go listen to what else is out there. Yeah, because it's not all bad out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I respect this album a lot because I, without this being pushed onto me and without me being like, Hmm, there's something about this that people are liking and me actually enjoying the songs. Do I enjoy every song in this album? No, because the second song with Beyonce, I really don't like. That to me was one of the better ones. I, I honestly, if I have to skip a song, I skip that song. That one, yeah. To me, it would be um, "Welcome to the Jungle." That's a Swiss beat. Yeah, but it's so annoying. Yeah, annoying. Yeah, I can I can get your point of it being annoying, but this this album made me just fucking be like, I stop, just stop what you're doing. Stop saying that everything that's coming out that's commercial is fucking horseshit, because it's not. Because these guys are making good music, and because we went to the show and I saw their live performance, that was to me incredible. Made me get out and be like, okay, stop it. Just you gotta go. You gotta go back to my beautiful dark and really understand why it's amazing. Well, part of that that was great was that he didn't tour that album, Beautiful Dark. So Never. in 2011, when they came. In the parts that they were each doing their own sets, playing their own songs, the most of Kanye's songs were beautiful dark songs. Runaway, I believe they did their parts for Monster and So Paul together. Yeah, fuck that Jay Z Monster versus horrendous. Yeah, but it was the first time that Kanye was showcasing that album on a tour. Or maybe he did tour, but he didn't do massive dates. Like, he didn't come here for it. Like, me being scared of listening to such artists like this because of how mainstream they were and how liked they were by people went away after I started to get into this this album. Yeah. It it sucks because I was so close-minded with just underground hip-hop. I listened to The Essentials, but never really dug in and mm. hey I'm a fan of Kanye West hey I'm a fan of Jay-Z it's okay to be a hip-hop head and listen to these guys because they're in the mainstream I remember the RZA production on New Day catching your attention particularly yes so stuff like that it's just but you need to be able to appreciate and sometimes it could take you like it could have took me five years and I could have been not listening to anything but just underground hip hop but yeah there was an overnight success it was a hit yeah the thing now is that every time a collaborative album is going to be announced or in the works or rumored this is the first thing you're going to think of and despite me feeling the way I do about it today in the day like it was it was a it was great maybe one day I'll love it again but you can't always measure like these were guys that worked together a lot a lot their success was based on one another so your Kendrick and Cole albums drop it no it's not it's not the same it's not the same type of thing 
you can't just take two big names and make it work. It doesn't always work. These guys knew what they were doing. They knew the other well, what he likes to rap on, what he likes to rap on, the beats that he makes are like this. This is how we're going to execute on this. So, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a well-delivered product. Massive tour following the release. Um, probably the... Would you call it the start of those massive tours? Where yeah. It's like the <laughs> yeah. tour, like the watch. Like yes. Yes. And everyone after this had to make their tours, the whole like explosions and and fucking roller coasters. And from this, the hip hop tour exploded. Yeah. There's nothing before this really. Well, there was because Kanye always used to do those glow in the darks. And he always used to do those big... Glow in the darks with a stage and a screen. That's it? That's it. Well, it was a big screen. There was a bit of slopes and, and, and not, a, not a... It wasn't a... It wasn't a Mount Everest like like the Yeezus store, but it was there was a little uh, mountain that if he stood on it, I was too close and I couldn't see him. And it was a screen. It wasn't this. No, this was big because the stages were like fucking towers at one point. And they played the mm. same song how many times for us? Six, seven? A lot at the end, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> um, I think uh, that covers 2011. Yeah, I had a point to make about something that I'm just going to throw there and we don't have to discuss it, but it needs mm-hmm. to be said. In 2011, I had no fucking idea what the big hype was about J. Cole. Also, yeah. <laughs> because the day J. Cole released Cole World Sideline Story, we had the, the same amount of people come for that as much as people were coming for fucking any other huge release. Mm. I remember that day. Yeah, I was seeing that. people from my high school that I thought were dead or mm-hmm. never would I see again coming to the store and me asking... What the fuck is this? Why are people freaking out? And one person answered me, "Oh, because it's backed by Jay Z." All right. Yeah, he he really he was uh, really pushing him at the beginning. Yeah. And that had to have been J Cole's worst sack of shit ever. On to the next point. We have five albums to pick. I went first last week. Can you go first? I go first. Yeah, five or six. This week I have five. I'm gonna do it like, uh, like it's supposed to be done. First album, Destroyer Kaput, which was and still is a fantastic and weird. Um, uh, Singer songwriter type of album. It's such a weird album. It's so good. Fleet Fox's Helplessness Blues was this year. This was their second album following their self-titled. Um, it's better. It's just better than their first album. And it got better with time. This was like when the folk, indie folk was at its peak with the Mumford & Sons and stuff. Oh, fuck. There's a vast difference <laughs> in quality Mumford between Fleet Foxes and Mumford and & Sons. I think we figured that out today, but back then, they were considered one and the same, 
and I loved Fleet Foxes and did not understand Mumford and Sons. Like you wouldn't understand like certain rap artists, but people say they sound the same. This was exactly that for me. No, you can't fucking tell me that Fleet Foxes and you could tell Mumford you could tell Sons. the difference. Okay. A lot of people that from the outside would say like it's all just No. I could not a chance. Folk. Mumford and okay. Sons and Fleet Foxes sound totally different to me. Okay. Fine. Come on. That fucking banjo? It's uh, to me. It sounds yeah, like it's so yeah. It's so annoying. It, it's, oh, I don't like it. It sounds like I'm in Ireland when I fucking listen to Mumford and Sons. The next album on my list was Licky Lee, Wounded Rhymes. This was an album that was in my top three, the year the in in 2011, as was Caput and Boniver's Boniver. Um. Yeah, it's her best album. It holds up really well, and uh, it's good pop that doesn't age. I have PJ Harvey's Let England Shake, which wasn't something I liked then, but like now, I think within the span of 10 years, people change, and PJ Harvey's Let England Shake is an album that took a long time for me to like. And last, but certainly not least, St. Vincent, Strange Mercy. Um, her best album? Yeah, probably. Really great. But, uh, yeah, again, the James Blake album I spoke about at the beginning and Bon Iver's album. Bon Iver's album is my absolute favorite from this year. Of course, if we speak about it, I don't put them in the five. There was also Drake's Take Care that I liked a lot. And still do. So for me, for 2011, I'm going to start it off with Pitbull, Plant Pit. Oh. <laughs> now, hey, fucking this is when his career took off. uh, uh. uh. Yeah, those were fucking, those were bangers. <laughs> he ran fucking clubs like a savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, no, he's definitely not in my top five. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, Raekwon, Shaolin versus Wu. Yeah, good pick. Uh, a, if you like Cuban links too, everything he did before this, this is definitely way calmer, but way more storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's a big concept to this album, and I think... Following up to uh, Cuban Links 2, he did a, an amazing, amazing job. The featurings yeah. on there, Lloyd Banks, Jim Jones, Ghostface, Method Man, Master Killer. He did a really wonderful Rick job Ross. with this. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Rick Ross. Big track, Remember that song? What was it? It was Ghost, Rick Ross. I think that's it. It was just them three? Yeah, it was, was them, Kitten, No, it was, was, it was yeah. them three, and I was just like, whoa. Yeah, it was good storytelling and if these guys could get rick ross on their song there's something to dig deeper into rick ross yeah nice album cover too <laughs> very nice album cover i should have tattooed that one on me mm. um it's gonna be random acts random acts yeah good uh sean price black milk guilty simpson sean price probably his best work his funnest work the stupidest things he says but <laughs> fuck that's what was that song called the Karate Kid yeah Will Smith's son the Karate Kid <laughs> yeah uh, I said what two already yeah so that's two uh, J-Rock Follow Me Home mm-hmm. which Kendrick featured a couple of times on that as well but that's when I started noticing Absol Schoolboy Q uh, he had a song with Lil Wayne on it Rick Ross it, it was uh, he sounded like the game because his voice wasn't fully developed and the sound too, mm-hmm. but then after that he just went into his direction and stuff like that. But it was a really good album to start off the career. 
uh, I'm gonna go Black Milk and Danny Brown Black and Brown yeah it's a 20 minute album mm -hmm. Black Milk production Danny Brown just amazing how many do I have three yeah no that was four that was four and the last one Pharaoh Manch War We Are Renegades this album came out and to me going back and listening to it is way ahead of its time way ahead of its time his subject matter police brutality the way people are getting treated in the hood where he came from it's black excellence at its best black excellence at its best he's attacking these subject matters that in 2011 people weren't talking about because they were scared to talk about it and it's like he saw the future because everything he was talking about in his songs are happening today were happening a year later two years later three years later and he wasn't afraid to attack those problems because people are scared were scared to attack how police were treating black men in New York so it was it was just it was just amazing to see and there's a lot of like rock uh, samples in there live band uh, lyricism it's very loud it's, 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 uh, yeah it's very loud and in your face but again like the and the album cover is him with a gas mask on remember that album cover yeah 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 with the gas mask so he he just wasn't afraid to attack problems and say this is what's happening and needs to get fixed because in 2019 us sitting here doing this podcast it's still not fixed these things are still happening so it was just really ahead of its time mm -hmm. and yeah i think i said five and uh, yeah those 2011 2011 was a big year man oh for both for 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 indian uh, for indie music as well and i'm I looking at albums i didn't pick off the from my five and it, it's weird to say, like, we spoke of all 2011, we didn't talk about M83. Yes. They broke out with Midnight City and their album Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. Kurt Vile breaks out with Smoke Ring for My Halo, which is like, he'll come up again. But anyway, it was it was, it was was a really good year. Wiz Khalifa broke out with Rolling Papers. Right. Which is crazy. Uh, Pusha T, Fear of God 2. I know it's, it's not his yeah. best one, his biggest one, but... We were waiting for that. Yeah, we were waiting for that, and it had the Kanye sound with the Pusha T like mm -hmm. Runway. Mm -hmm. But Runaway, sorry. He was also one of those first main guys that took Tyler onto that. Yes. Because, yeah, and Tyler started collaborating with a bunch of exactly, other artists yeah, instead yeah. of just the odd future camp. Exactly, yeah. And there's, of course, Goblin, but to this day, Goblin is his worst album. I'm, I'm not uh, talking yeah, about no, Bastard. Well, still, Bastard's a bit better. Yeah? I'd say. Really, it just. Well, actually, it's not his worst. It's not his worst. Cherry bomb's fucking bad. Yeah, cherry bomb's cherry bomb in my language is a sack of shit. Yeah, and too loud. But mm. the Tyler was like people were were onto Tyler because he was swearing because he was saying foul things that wasn't heard of for a long. time. It was time. shocking. It was like it had that Eminem factor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that's it for uh, 2011, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, no surprise next week's 2012 yeah let us know what you guys think about the subject matter hit us up in the comments uh all that stuff uh, albums that you liked from this year too could be cool 
yeah that's gonna be something that uh, we should uh, we should all talk about leave us questions whatever you guys want thank you for the support always thanks